Love is a really interesting word. I mean, you know, when you use it in the course of a relationship, you know it means something, right? It has a lot of significance to it. But in English, we just have that one word, love. In Greek, there were two words for love. There was agape and koinonia. And then in Hebrew, there were actually three words for love. So when we think about a biblical idea of love or what love might have looked like in the Bible, there's actually this much broader palette than what our English connotations of love can typically represent. But in today's sermon, our senior pastor, Magreta Vega, is going to break open the idea of love, staying within the English language, but looking at love as both a noun and a verb. And it's such an interesting way to think about love. I mean, have you ever considered that, that love is something you can show to someone and love is this concept, right, that we kind of think about and feel within ourselves or see in the world around us or in our relationships, but it's almost an object, right, like a noun, and it's this thing that we can express to each other. So it's going to be a really interesting sermon, and throughout this series, we've been using Broadway to illuminate the message of the sermon. You can find out about this Broadway musical that we're using in this sermon at hydeparkumc.org slash goodandfaithful. I think you'll like this one. I'll be back at the end of the sermon to tell you a little bit more about some next steps you can take. Let's pray together. Oh God, open our eyes to empathy, curiosity, and humility, that we might be generous and compassionate toward others and ourselves. Amen. There are many words in the English language that are both nouns and verbs. Words like challenge and color, uh, question and rhyme. Same words describing both things and actions. Some of these words were originally nouns in their primitive root form and developed later into verbs. These are called denominal verbs. You don't have to know that, but words like dust, summer, bicycle, these are all verbs that started out as nouns. But then there are words that were originally verbs that became nouns. And in, the, and in the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, the, the language of this iconic saying of Jesus in Matthew, this is the case for the word love. The word for love is agapao, which is in its primitive origin a verb. It's later derived as a noun throughout the rest of the New Testament. So at its core, love is an action. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting the Old Testament book of Leviticus. He pulled out those five words as a summary of a larger set of actions that defined what loving others means in chapter 19. It's a section of 13 verses that talk about feeding the poor and caring for strangers, not stealing or lying, treating others fairly, not holding a grudge, honoring the elderly, and caring for the immigrant as if they were your family. And tucked in the midst of all those actions in Leviticus 19 is those five words. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is not just something we fall into or create or feel for someone else. It's not just a goal or an ideal. And even in the case of our current worship series, it is not merely a core quality of Christian character. Love is something we do. It's a deliberate choice to orient our hearts and our minds in a certain way toward other people. And it doesn't come naturally, does it? I mean, our 
base instincts would want us to treat others in ways that create distance and separation from one another. Love takes effort. It involves risk. It can result in disappointment and sometimes even grief. In other words, to love means to grow. Dr. David Gushy quotes the great Reinhold Niebuhr in his book, Introducing Christian Ethics, which is partly the basis of this series on Christian character. And in his discussion of love, this is what he writes, quote, Niebuhr suggests that love is always beckoning us to transcendent heights which we can never quite reach, but to which we must always continually aspire. Love constantly calls us to greater purity in our motivations and greater breadth of application in practice. We must love, not just a little, but more. Then more, then more. We must love, not just self, but partner, not just partner, but children, not just children, but neighbors, and on and on. We must love with more intelligence, more effectiveness, more care, more self-giving. If we think we've arrived at love, we know nothing about it. So love is first a verb before it is a noun. And love involves movement and growth and change. And that makes sense, right? Because after all, love involves relationships and relationships change over time. Every relationship does, whether it's your relationship with your partner or your children or your parents, whether it's with your coworkers or your community or even with God. The nature of your relationship changes. So you must adapt the ways that you express and share love in that relationship. I love the way Dr. Gushy describes how the love between parents and children changes over time. He says, as for the relationship between parents and children, it goes through stages. When our children are little, we sacrifice greatly. There's little mutuality and there is more than occasional rescuing required. But as the children grow, the mutuality between parent and child grows in lovely ways. Though there's always the possibility of arduous sacrifice or occasional urgent effort to deliver from disaster. But when we get old, the balance shifts, he says, and we may be the ones who need our grown children to sacrifice for us or even to rescue us. Relationships change. So the way we love in those relationships must also change. In fact, it, here's another word that is both a noun and a verb. It's the word time. And in some ways, love and time are deeply connected. Loving others takes time. The way we learn to love each other changes over time. Sometimes we can't fully appreciate how others have loved us until time has passed and we can see it in retrospect. And here's something else we all know about time. Each of us has a limited amount of it in our lifetimes. The older we get, time becomes more of a pressure than a privilege. We push ourselves to accomplish more, 
and there never seems to be enough time in a day. And we hit a point in our lives, some people, some people call it midlife, when we realize that there's more time behind us than before us. And as much as we plan and order our lives, we realize that time feels like it's slipping through our fingers. As time marches on, we feel more restless. And that's when we most need to remember that the greatest use of our time is spending it with love. I've shared this before, but one of the greatest privileges I have had as a pastor is to be alongside families in the immediate wake of a loved one's death. And as we plan the funeral service together, I listen for stories and memories that they would share with me. And every time there is a common denominator among all of those stories they share with me, among all the different families that I've ministered to over the years, people aren't best remembered by their possessions or their achievements. They aren't celebrated for their toys or their trophies. What a family remembers most are the relationships. What they remember most is that person's love throughout their time with them. Jesus was right. The greatest commandment is to love God and love others. Because we all have a limited amount of time, but the love we share can make an unlimited impact. In the 1980s, there lived a man in New York City named Jonathan Larson. He grew up in a musical family. He aspired to become a playwright and a lyricist. After graduating from college, he set out to write several theater productions, struggling to make ends meet as he lived in his lower Manhattan apartment. He worked during the day as a waiter. He had numerous roommates in a fifth floor loft that had unreliable electricity and no heat. They kept an illegal wood-burning stove in that loft just to stay warm during the winter. But that loft became a kind of community for Larson and his friends. It would include a journalist, a dancer, different artists and writers who came and went. It was a, a kind of bohemian community in the classic 19th century European sense. It was a collection of impoverished artists and philosophers and writers, all leaning on each other for support, sharing delightful experiences of joy and knitted together in love. Jonathan Larson had a few semi-successful plays at first. One was called Suburbia, which initially put him on the radar of some well-known composers like Stephen Sondheim. And then there was one called Tick, Tick, Boom, a monologue of sorts about his life as a young composer and his bohemian friends. But his greatest success came when he partnered with another composer named Billy Aronson, who was creating a new musical based on a 100-year-old Italian opera, of all things, called La Boheme, which describes a small community of young, starving, bohemian artists learning to love each other through the highs and lows of life in the face of a deadly disease in 19th century Paris. Over the span of one year, 
from Christmas Eve to Christmas Eve. And Jonathan Larson immediately saw his own life in the story of La Bohème. So he got involved with Aronson in writing a musical about a modern day bohemian community. It'd be about a group of young people learning to manage the hardships of life and relationships and career, not in 19th century Paris, but in 1980s New York City in the days of the HIV AIDS crisis. And that musical was Rent, one of the most groundbreaking and generation-defining musicals in the history of theater. Like the opera La Boheme that inspired it, Rent has multiple main characters exploring many different kinds of relationships. There's an aspiring rock musician who falls in love with a dancer, a gay philosophy professor, and a drag queen percussionist. There's a lesbian couple, an activist lawyer, and a performance artist. Four of the main characters were living with HIV AIDS. And then there was the narrator, a Jewish American writer and filmmaker who embodied the perspective of Jonathan Larson himself. In the musical Rent, each of those relationships are explored in one year from Christmas Eve to Christmas Eve. In other words, over a limited period of time. But in that time, these people learn what it means to love, what it means to grieve, what it means to fall apart, and how to come back together again as a community of love and support for each other. You know, Jonathan Larson chose the title Rent because of its double meaning. Not only because it describes the monthly amount due to live in that apartment and the economic conditions of the time, but because rent is also one of those words that is both a noun and a verb, because it can also mean to be torn apart, just like lives and relationships can be rent as it suffers from the harm and mistrust and, and hardship and disease. But there is one thing, one thing that can heal lives that have been rent apart. And it's captured in a song in the middle of the musical about the relationship between love and time. It's about how fixed and limited time is. And it's about how we have the conscious choice and how to spend that time and share that love. And that song, as you may know, is called Seasons of Love. One of the greatest compositions in the history of musical theater. I was talking to my younger daughter, Maddie, this week about why Seasons of Love occurs at the beginning of act two rather than in a showstopper position like the end of act one or the finale at the end. I love her answer. Because if you put it at the end of act one, you can sense that the intermission is coming. And if you put it near the end of act two, you can sense that the musical will be over soon. But by putting it at the very beginning of act two, you don't really know how much time is left in the musical. Just like we don't 
know how much time we have left in our lives. But what we do know is that we can love each other right now, fully in each present moment. Maddie said, love is at the center of it all. On January 25th, 1996, the day before Rent was to give its big preview performance on Broadway, Jonathan Larson died suddenly of an aortic aneurysm. He was just 35 years old. He never got to see his beloved musical performed in front of a big Broadway audience, and he never got to see the, the cultural phenomenon that it would become. The cast was shocked, was grief-stricken, but that very next day, they gathered with an audience and did a sing-through of the musical, and they sang that iconic song, a song that reminds us of how time can be measured in multiple ways. But the greatest way to measure time is to spend it loving others. I invite you to go to our website at hydeparkumc.org forward slash good and faithful, where you can see a full video recording of the Broadway production of Rent, including Seasons of Love at the beginning of Act Two. And listen for these words, 525,600 minutes. How do you measure the life of a woman or a man? It's time to sing out, though the story never ends. Let's celebrate, remember a year in the life of friends. Remember the love, measure in love. Let's pray together. God, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all time, and you are the source of all love. Thank you for the life you give us over the season of our years. And thank you for our ability to spend it in love for you and all people. Help us to love more fully. Help us to reject our base instincts to cause harm and separation from others. Instead, may love be our primary noun and verb, our highest aim and primary action for the living of these days. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember in ninth grade, all of my friends really got into the musical Rent, and I did not have an appreciation for musicals. It wasn't until my early 30s that I actually got to see Rent live and experience it, and I was blown away by the idea of love represented, represented in that musical. And so as you uh, take this sermon with you today, I want you to consider who in your life needs love and how they might need love in different ways, just like the characters in Rent needed love in different ways. Ways your partner might need love, your children or your nieces and nephews might need love, the way your friends or coworkers might need love. Consider that this week. Down in the notes below, you can find reflection questions. You can find a link to our next steps page where you can find ways to get involved in our community, meet people, uh, or find out more about our church. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Matt Hotho, and we'll see you next time.